ready to get into the Word? All right. Well, we are in um, a new series called The Kingdom Among Us, and it is a survey through the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to be in the Gospel of Matthew for several weeks. Um, And the kingdom, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of the heavens is a recurring theme in the Bible. Uh, it, it, uh, that phrase uh, occurs 137 times uh, for those of you with a software concordance, um, and you can look it up easily, 137 times in the New Testament, um, and over 100 of those times are actually in the Gospels, and is really a central theme to Matthew. And so we're, over the coming weeks, we're exploring the gospel of the kingdom and life in the kingdom of God. And I want to start this morning by sharing with you just a vision that I had about a year ago. Um, Yes, sometimes we do have visions. Anyone have ever had a vision before? Yes. God speaks to us in visions and pictures. Now, agape, I'm going to really challenge the tech people because I'm standing out in front of the main speakers with a microphone, but it'll be helpful. You'll see in a minute. Um, Agape used to be in a building out by the airport, in a warehouse out by the airport. And uh, we had, um, that's where Michelle and I first started coming to Agape is when it was out by the airport. And actually Mercy Church now meets in, in that building and has done a lot of great work and continues to do ministry there. But in this vision, um, it happened about a year ago, I was, I saw myself right here in the old building. And so you can imagine that the whole sanctuary was empty. None of your beautiful faces were in here. All the chairs were empty, but all the lights were on. Everything was set up and ready for service. And there was even that, you know, uh, there was even, it looked like a fog machine had been on for a little bit. Um, ju- kind of like that one up there. But we're not allowed to use fog anymore because it upsets people. So, um, but in, the, in my vision, Jesus still uses a fog machine. Um, Just having a little fun. That was an extra. Do you really think there was fog in the vision? Yeah, there was. That, that's what's so cool about it. Yeah, he, uh, he, he's good like that. He really is. Um, so I was standing here, and on, on the right-hand wall, right over there, there was uh, a picture of a scale. And on that scale... On one side was an open Bible that symbolized the ministry of the Word, and the other side was a picture of a flame that symbolized the ministry of the Spirit. And this was a picture, a vision that God had given Pastor Mike um, a number of years prior, um, and uh, it, it really was part of our identity as a church, that we were a place that valued both the ministry of the Word and the ministry of the Spirit. It wasn't just a place for good teaching. I'm not minimizing good teaching, but that there was teaching that was put into practice, that people experienced the ministry, the fruits, and the gifts, the demonstration of power that came from the Holy Spirit. Uh, and so that, that was sitting there. Now, in the vision, I'm here, and my, my eyes go to that scale, and then I'd have to change clothes, but I saw, I saw Jesus come walking down the side right over to where the scale was, didn't look at me. And he, with one hand, he took the open Bible off the one side of the scale. And then with his other hand, he took the flame off the side of the scale. And then he walked all the way across the front. I'm standing there. He doesn't look at me. Comes all the way over to this side. And 
in the old building, this wall was blank. But in the vision, there was a giant A from our logo with that heart. And he took the open scriptures and he put it into one chamber of the heart and he took the flame and he put it into the other chamber of the heart. And then he walked back and he walked right up to me and he just said very simply, he said, this is who you are. And the vision was over. Now, it's amazing what can be communicated with so few words. But I knew a bunch of things all in a moment. One, it was an affirmation that God had given Pastor Mike this vision and that it was core to the identity of our church and us uh, as a people, what he had called us to be. And that the important things from that vision were the ministry of the Word and the ministry of the Spirit. Now, the scale wasn't important for that moment in time and for that season. But the scale was just the holder, the carrier, the the object, the illustration for us to understand what was important. And what was important was still carried, and it was carried and put into something that was for this cultural moment and this season and this moment in time. But the things that were important were the same. And I also knew in a moment that the ministry of the Word and the ministry of the Spirit work as two chambers of the heart of Christ. And when they are working completely surrounded in love and working together, that life flows to the whole body. But when we only try to emphasize just the ministry of the word outside of the heart and apart or at the exclusion or the openness to the ministry of the spirit, we might get good doctrine. We might get good philosophies. We might get good principles, but they tend to stay on the shelf. There's a declaration, but no demonstration. There's an idea, but no experience. That pretty much sums up religion in general. I mean, I know I'm oversimplifying, but you get the idea. Uh, And I also knew that there are some that really try to elevate just the ministry of the Spirit, almost apart from the heart of Christ and away from really sound or earnest teaching of God's Word. And we begin to be seekers of experiences or we begin to be seekers of of uh, a spectacle, wanting to be entertained by the Holy Spirit, wanting goosebumps and shakes and chills and all those kinds of things, but with no lasting fruit and with no order or direction. And so we become people that cry a lot and shake a lot, but are never changed. But when the ministry of the Word and the ministry of the Spirit work together and we make room to honor His heart, this is the heart of the King, the King of our kingdom, the heart of our King. When the ministry of the Word and the ministry of the Spirit work together, they're working together like two chambers of His heart and life flows. So there is declaration and there is demonstration. There is a proclamation of truth 
And there's also the grace and the charismata, the power to live it out and to see it come to pass. There is experience with direction. It goes somewhere and there's lasting fruit. And as part of this, this is a picture of who we are. It's what we carry as citizens of God's kingdom to bless our families, to bless our region, and to bless our world, to bless and beyond. And as part of this kingdom series, we're going to look at the heart of our king and how the ministry of the Spirit and the ministry of the Word flowed in Jesus' life and now flow from his heart through us in our life. Because the Spirit of the King... The Spirit of Jesus is the Spirit of the kingdom. We're going to pick up in Matthew chapter 3. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 3. It's verses 13 through 17. And we're going to read here. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John. That's John the Baptist. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you are coming to me? But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then he allowed him. And when he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. First question I want to ask is, why was Jesus baptized? I mean, why was John John really uncomfortable with the idea of baptizing Jesus? Why was John uncomfortable about that? It's kind of backwards, right? John says, hey, you should be the one baptizing me, not the other way around. I mean, what was John's baptism? Think think about it for a minute. What, What was the baptism that John was preaching? Repentance. Did Jesus need to repent? That's why John feels uncomfortable. He's leading and inviting people to to a baptism of repentance. Jesus, the Messiah, had no sin and no need to repent. So why was Jesus baptized? I'm not going to give you an exhaustive list, but here are four, four reasons that support what Jesus said in the text. What did he say? What is recorded that he said? Because John did challenge him and say, I'm really not comfortable with this. And Jesus said, no, permit it to be so, so that we can fulfill all righteousness. What did that mean? Well, I think fulfilling all righteousness probably included at least these four. One is to affirm John's ministry and his role in God's redemptive purpose. John didn't have a role, a title. He, he wasn't really ceremonially prepared to baptize people or, or uh, things in the religious culture or in the temple of the day. 
And so when John is out saying, prepare the way of the Lord, by Jesus coming to him and going through this baptism, he is affirming John's ministry and his role in God's redemptive purpose that one would come out of the wilderness and announce the coming of God's kingdom, the Messiah. The second, I believe, is to identify with sinners. Now, Jesus didn't know any sin. He didn't sin himself, but he was crucified for our sin. He didn't deserve the cross. We deserve the cross. But he took that place and was crucified for us. Well, in his identification with us, he took on an earth suit, an earthen vessel. He left glory and came to to be just like you and I. And in his identification with us, he went through the baptism. He went through the way that we had to go. The third reason is to fulfill the ceremonial law of a high priest. Scripture says that Jesus became our, our high priest, our mediator, the one who would go before the Lord and plead our case, which he did do. And thank God he did it successfully, right? Well, the ceremonial law to commission or to anoint a high priest was one, he had to be 30 years old. How old was Jesus? 30 at this point. He, the high priest would, ha- or the candidate would have to be washed in water to show that he was ceremonially clean. What was Jesus done at the Jordan? He was washed in water. Then the candidate would be anointed with oil. The oil is a symbol for what? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came upon him. And then the priests of the temple would pray a blessing on him. And what came from heaven? A blessing from the Father. The only one qualified to commend a blessing on the Lord Jesus Christ. So the third, to fulfill the ceremonial law of a high priest. And the last, which I think practically really helps us, is Jesus was revealing what awaits us after our new birth. If, we hadn't, if he hadn't been baptized and we didn't see the Spirit of the Lord descend and the heavens opened and the blessing of the Father come, how would we know what to expect from our new birth? It alights, it shows us the path, the model, what our purpose. It shows us what we're being invited to, into. It reveals what awaits us after our new birth and our birth into God's kingdom. Well, then what does this passage tell us about ourselves? What does it tell us about our purpose, about our our nature as people. What does this passage tell us about ourselves? I know I've been studying this for a week, so I can just answer my own question. I know you're just being introduced to this question at the moment. What does this passage tell us about ourselves? It tells us that our flesh, our earth suit, our body, has little power or purpose without the Spirit of God. Michelle, can you hand me the uh, my my stuff? When Scripture describes us as being a jar of clay or being an earthen vessel, that's not the picture of a cup, like a Dixie cup. It's a picture of a pitcher. 
an earthen vessel to be used or to to have something poured in so that it can in turn pour itself and be poured out. Now, this pitcher can probably be used for a lot of things. Um, you could use it as a bookend uh, on a bookshelf and put like a little, some little dried flowers or maybe a little, you know, old model of the USS Constitution. That's a Navy ship, not a document. Uh, put that in there. And it would look pretty on, on the bookshelf, right? But is it going to be a very bo- good bookend? No, because it's going to slide, right? Unless you doctor it up on the bottom. Uh, you could use it to be a, a vase <laughs> and hold some flowers. A vase, right? Right, Denise? This, these make great vases. Yeah. But do they really? I mean, you can't fit that many flowers in there. I mean, it might look okay, but it's also a little tall, which means if you have a bouquet up here, like it kind of, it doesn't quite work that well as a vase. There may be other things you could use it. I don't know. I was thinking maybe if I had two, I could use them like as stilts. That, did you hear the engineer laugh? That was an engineer laugh. Yes, thank you, Rick. That wouldn't work really very well, would it? Okay, so my favorite one is, is that if I had 10 of them, what do they kind of look like if I stacked them up? Bowling pins. Can you imagine the fun we would have bowling into these glass uh, vessels? But what... The power of this picture aligns with the purpose of this picture. The power of this picture aligns with its purpose. What it's designed to do is to receive water or to receive the filling of the Holy Spirit, to carry it without leaking out the bottom. Come here. You want to be poured on? Anyone? I don't have any crazy charismatics in the room. <laughs> Something will happen if this water touches your head. No, I'm kidding. I know, that's funny. I can, play, I can poke fun at us, at, at, at myself. Uh, but yes, the, the, we were not remade to remain empty. And, and some of us are, are living as though we're just... Um, a biological accident, something that we can define for ourselves what our purpose is. We, have a, a, we, we don't even stand back to look at the masterpiece and ask God, what, what is the purpose that you made me for? We're just the result of primordial ooze or some evolutionary process or we, and, and even if we don't say we believe that, we, we act like it. We act like we're the definers of our own destiny. We want control over our own lives. We want to make our vessels do what we want them to do. If we want to be a bookend, a flower vase, a bowling pin, but this earthen vessel was designed, and it may be able to do all of those things sort of well, 
But what this can do really well is hold the Spirit of the Lord. That's what you're made for. We are made to hold, to be a vessel, to be filled with the Spirit of the Lord. The Holy Spirit is not an extra. The Holy Spirit is essential. The Holy Spirit is not an aftermarket upgrade for crazy charismatics. From the beginning, God breathed into Adam, and he said he breathed into Adam the the breath of life, which is also translated the spirit of life. Um, Yes, before sin entered the world, God the Father breathed into Adam and Eve the spirit of life. That's how we know from the beginning we were created to receive the spirit of life, the Holy Spirit. The prophets... Joel, he said he looked forward to the age we live in and where he reported that God would say, God would pour out my spirit. God would pour out his spirit on all flesh. And the, why, the, the, the context of that is not just that the Holy Spirit was for, for one tribe or for just the children of Israel, that in the age of of Christ's redemption in the age of the kingdom of God coming to earth and being available to every tribe and tongue, that God would not just pour a little bit of his spirit on each people, but that that phrase would be more accurately translated to say that God would continually pour out and keep pouring out on all flesh everywhere. That we would be poured into so that we could do some pouring out. In his name. Jesus declared in Luke 24 49, I have to go to my Father, and that's a good thing because I'm sending what the Father promised. Like, the, we've been remade. Like, the purpose of our recreation in Christ is so that we can hold the Spirit of the Lord without leaking. That's how we communicate with him. That's how we delight in him. That's how we bring him praise. That's how we walk in his power. And and not just for this age and this life, but for eternity. We we hold the spirit of the Lord. We're a vessel. And the early church witnessed this fulfillment in Acts chapter 2. They said, you know that stuff that the prophets talked about and that Jesus said the Father promised? You're seeing it right now. The Holy Spirit is being poured out into earthen vessels on all flesh. We are not remade to remain empty. So the Spirit comes, in this passage we see, the Spirit comes to bring three things into our life. The first... The Spirit comes to bring open heavens. We see that in verse 16a, that immediately when Jesus came up, the Holy Spirit descended, and Scripture says the heavens were opened to Jesus. Now, if I asked you, where's heaven? Where would you point? First place. Put your finger. Where? High in the air. What about people in the southern hemisphere? I mean, it's helpful for us, right, to recognize that God is high and lifted up. And so in our place of reverence, that heaven should be that way. 
That's not what the scripture is saying. The heavens were open to him, meaning the realm of the spirit. The heavens is all around us. It's just as much there as it is 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 there. The heavens are the realm of the spirit, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of the heavens. The, the, the sovereign rule of God has been brought to earth and has come among us. And when Jesus came up immediately, the heavens, the spiritual realm, even though he had left glory and taken on an earth suit, the, the spiritual realm was opened. The kingdom of the heavens was opened to him. There was a nearness of heaven, the spirit realm, to earth. There is a continual awareness of God's presence that, and, and for us, it brings a clarity of heart and a clarity of mind. And people think heaven's thoughts and they are not influenced by the spirit of the day. You know, there are spirits of the day around in our culture everywhere, and we can be influenced by them. In yearning to see the days we live in, prophets like Ezekiel and Joel and Isaiah, they all prophesied about the heavens opened or the Spirit poured out everywhere on all flesh or, oh, that you would rend the heavens or you would split, you would, you would tear the veil between where our earth suits are and the kingdom of God, the spiritual realm. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, bring your kingdom to us. So you say practically, well... What does that mean to me? I mean, that's a nice idea. That's a concept. But how would I walk? How would I live? How would I, how would I make room for the Spirit of the Lord to bring open heavens to my life? Well, practically, I mean, it really just means that we need to be stewards of what we've already been given. If we're always just aware of darkness, 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 darkness over our lights, darkness in doctor's reports, darkness in the political sphere, darkness over our county, darkness over California, darkness over the U.S., darkness over the world. We start just, we're so aware of darkness, we really begin to believe that the darkness is over us. That's what we identify with, and we begin to just get weighted down, weighted down, weighted down. Because we're so aware of the darkness. The Holy Spirit came to rip the heavens and bring the realm of the Spirit to us so that we could be more aware of God's presence than we are of the darkness. More aware of His kingdom than the kingdoms of this world. More aware of what's going on in the heavens than just what's going on on earth. Why Jesus prayed, which kingdom to come? Your kingdom come! Your will be done on earth as it is in the heavens, in the spirit realm. Let it manifest. Let it come out. Let it break out. And it's in real practical ways. Like, like yesterday, Michelle, uh, she got a call from a coworker, and the coworker said, you know, my, had, a, had a family member, a niece that was, had a brain tumor that came back and is living out of the area and was saying, you know, I might need to take some days and... Um, away from work. And, you know, as Michelle's telling, retelling me this, I can already feel like the darkness of the report, right? Darkness, darkness, and it starts weighing down. And I see her, she's like, I really just think we need to bless this person. And she was a little more responsive to the open heavens than I was in, in that moment. And then, th- thank God for, thank God for, right? Thank you, Lord. 
And so then we, we, uh, we were planning to do one thing, and we said, well, let's, plans are changing. We're, we, we went and got something that would bless the person. We took, took it over to their house. Um, this blessing led to a conversation. We started reading the, the chapter of Scripture from Matthew, had all these different healing stories in Jesus' ministry. It happened to be just the passage we were reading that day. Um, we start just feeding on God's Word, and you can just see the countenance of the person changing from being weighed down to being freed, to becoming more aware of what's going on in the Spirit and what's going on in the kingdom of the heavens than just what the report had brought. We live with an awareness that the heavens have been opened to us. She even responded. She said, you know, my mom called me today and said, uh, and called me to remember that in 2005 I had spoke to somebody that had a brain tumor and that uh, they would live and not die, even though the doctors had only given them two months to live. And the mom is calling and saying, remember, we just had that person. I just saw that person the other day, and it's been, you know, 14 years ago. And calling us to be aware of the, the... the, the kingdom, the, the heavens that are open, to be more aware of God's presence than all the other presences. What would it be like if we woke up every morning with a confidence that over us and around us, the heavens are open to us? What would that do? It would change what we're aware of. And when our awareness is on what we have in God already, and when that awareness increases, we're more likely to take greater risks with greater faith to step out of our routines and our pre-planned activities. You know, we're so overscheduled, we're unavailable. That wasn't even in my notes. We're so overscheduled, we're unavailable. The second thing that the Spirit comes to bring is power and sensitivity. Now, oftentimes when I talk to people, really there's rarely a question of the Spirit's power. Can the Spirit do something? Can the Lord do something? There's rarely a question of whether God has the ability, the authority, the power to do something. But there is often a question of the Spirit's whereabouts. Well, where is the Lord? And you know, even for the children of Israel, for the people of the day, they didn't question the power of God. But this revelation of the Spirit of the Lord coming upon Jesus as a dove was a new concept, was a new revelation, a new understanding, a new part of our purpose that had been hidden from the foundations of the world. Because a dove is not your symbol of power, typically. That doesn't mean the Holy Spirit is a dove and no longer powerful. It means the Holy Spirit, whom you've known in power, also will come and alight on you in sensitivity. The Spirit is a, uh, the dove is a picture of meekness, of innocence, of gentleness, 
of sensitivity. And how many of you, if, if I came up and said, wow, you're sensitive, would take that as a compliment? Our culture just doesn't like that, right? Sensitive is actually a put-down. Wow, you're sensitive. But the Holy Spirit is sensitive. And like a dove, I mean, of all the birds, if you walk up to maybe the door to your backyard and there are some doves that are in a tree or on a telephone wire, before your hand even touches the knob, they will have flown away because they're so in tune and so acutely aware of their surroundings we would say that they're skittish. But they're just acutely aware of the sound and the environment and the context. And in that way, the Holy Spirit is not skittish, but the Holy Spirit is sensitive to us, to our conduct, to our behavior, to our attitude, to our thought life, to the emotions we believe we have a right to. to the sin that works in our heart, the iniquity, our bent towards anger, to appetites that are out of control. The Holy Spirit is sensitive to our every move. And I love this verse because it says the phrase, the Spirit descended like a dove and alighted. That word alighted also means remained, remained on Jesus. That phrase and remained is critical for us because the Spirit of God rested upon Jesus and never had a reason to retreat because of his behavior, his attitude, his conduct, his thought life, or any other reason. That's what we want. Not that we would earn God's presence, but that we would just not grieve the Holy Spirit. We wonder what the Spirit, yes, comes in us, to affirm, to seal us for eternity. The Holy Spirit in this, he also comes upon us to impact others in our region for eternity. The Holy Spirit brings power and also sensitivity, the good kind of sensitivity. And the last thing is the Spirit comes to bring an assurance of sonship. And if you're a lady, you can say daughtership. An An assurance of sonship or daughtership. Because God knows that how we measure ourselves will measure how we impact others for eternity. How we measure ourselves will affect how we, it will measure how we impact others for eternity. And I have noticed, I mean, just the, there is a disease of self-doubt, of uncertainty and unbelief that grieves the Holy Spirit. And I say, here's, here's just a quick test you can, you can give yourself. In, the last, in that last verse, when God the Father pronounced over his son, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. If you feel unworthy and uncomfortable with God the Father speaking that over you today, allow the Holy Spirit to convict you and convince you of your sonship your daughtership, that you are first a child of God, that the Holy Spirit comes in you for you, not just so that you can do something, but because you are someone. Yes, this pitcher is designed to pour out. It is also designed to hold the treasure of God. 
You are that treasure. Jesus modeled how it's done. And worship team, if you can come back up, we're going to sing one chorus as we close today. Um, Jesus modeled how it's done. He was baptized in water. The heavens, the kingdom of the heavens were ripped open. And the Spirit of God came upon him. And then he said, I do what I see my Father do. I say what I hear my Father say. And so I want to pray just as uh, together. I want to just put up a prayer here. And I'm going to read it through. And then if we can, after I read it through, if we can stand and pray it together and then just sing this closing chorus to ask the Holy Spirit to be, to dwell richly in us and to alight or remain on us as a people. I believe we're going to see a move of the Lord, a move of God. The prayer is, God, increase my awareness of your Holy Spirit already within me. And as my awareness increases, let me be fully convinced of my sonship or my daughtership. I want to grow in sensitivity to you and no longer grieve your Holy Spirit from coming upon me in greater power. May the people around me and the whole Central Coast benefit from the open heaven over me. So let's stand and let's pray together. You ready to pray? All right, let's say it together. Let's pray together. God, Increase my awareness of your Holy Spirit already within me. As my awareness increases, let me be fully convinced of my sonship. I want to grow in sensitivity to you and no longer grieve your Holy Spirit from coming upon me in greater power. May the people around me and the whole Central Coast benefit from the open heaven over me.